The Alan Watts iPhone app is now available on the iTunes App Store, featuring the entire Alan Watts podcast series at your fingertips. Visit alanwattsapp.com for more information. Again, the origins are always in India. But the Japanese, under the uh, genius of um, Honen and Shinran, uh, who were medieval Buddhist saints, developed their own special variety of it. And this is a very strange religion. because it takes its basis as follows. We are living now in the most decadent period of history. That's what they say. And this comes back from the Hindu idea that this is the Kali Yuga. This is the end of time where everything is completely fouled up and this started in about 3000 BC. February the 23rd, 3023 BC, the Kali Yuga began. And it's got to last yet for 5000 years. And then everything will fall apart. The universe will disappear out of sheer uh, failure. So that now, nobody can be virtuous. Because everybody who tries to be virtuous in this epoch of the world is merely showing off. It's not really pure. It's just um, pretending you're virtuous. It's a big act. In other words, so you give money to charity not because you really love the people you're giving money to but because you are under a sense of guilt and you feel you ought to. And therefore, because of that uh, in inescapable bad motivation, nobody can possibly liberate themselves from the chains of karma. The more you try to get out of your karma, that is to say your conditioning, your uh, uh, bondage to your past, the more you simply get yourself involved in it. And therefore, all human beings living in the end time of the Kali Yuga, or what the Japanese call Mappo, are just hopeless. Hopelessly selfish. So in this predicament, you cannot rely on jiriki, that means your own power, to get out, to get liberated from self. <clears throat> you have to rely on tariki, which is the power of something else altogether than you, something quite different. So in the Jodo Shinshu sect, the tariki, the other power, is represented in the form of Amitabha, or Japanese say Amida. This great 
beneficent Buddha figure who everybody loves. And he's so strangely different from any kind of um, authoritarian God figure that we have in the West. Amida doesn't bombinate. He sits there serenely, quiet. He doesn't preach. And all you have to do is to say his name in the formula Namu Amidabuts, which means Namu, name Amidabuts of Amida Buddha. Namu Amidabuts. And all you have to do is to say that formula, and after death you will be reborn in a special paradise called Sukhavati, which is Jodo, the pure land, where Becoming enlightened is a cinch. It has none of the difficulties surrounding it that we have in our ordinary life today. Everybody born in the pure land is born in the inside of a lotus. There's a huge lotus pond in front of where Amida sits with all his attendants. And the lotuses come up and they go pop, you know, as the bud breaks. And every time it goes pop like this, there's a new little being in there who is somebody who said the formula Namu Amida Buddhas. And those are human beings who are now sitting on lotuses like Buddhas. And you should see, you go to Koyasan and they have a great painting there in their museum of what it's like to arrive there. They have a huge panorama of Amitabha and all his attendants and especially the Apsaras. And she looks at you with lovely, longing eyes. And so, this is welcome to Amida's paradise, where you will all sit on lotuses and be Buddhas without any difficulty. But the point is, all you have to do to get there is to say, Namo Amida puts. You don't even have to believe that it works. Now that is the religion of most Japanese Buddhists, believe it or not. In other words, if you, 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 if you, if you, of course, if you really get this and feel that that's really going to happen to you, you'll be grateful and you'll try to help other people and be a bodhisattva and so on and, and you know, be generally helpful around the scene. But the whole idea is that you cannot do it by your own effort. And if the moment you think you can do it by your own effort, you're a phony. You have instead to go completely with the other to disown your own power and capability of being virtuous, unselfish, etc. So then, this kind of um, religion develops a peculiar kind of saint. And they call these people Myo Konin. Myo means wonderful. 
Ko means fine, nin means man or person. There can be a woman, neokonin. It's not sexually restricted to men. So a myokonin is a very special kind of character. There are stories told about myokonin. There is one, for example, a traveling uh, man who comes to a temple during the course of the night and walks in and he takes the sacred cushions on which the priest sits and arranges them right in front of the altar and goes to sleep. In the morning, the priest comes in and says, What's going on here? And the Myokonin looks at him and says, Oh, you must be a stranger. You don't belong to the family. Another time, he, uh, he had great ability for calligraphy, for doing beautiful writing. And people were always trying to get his calligraphy from him. And uh, he was cagey about it. It wasn't so easy to get it. So one day, a very, very great man invited him for dinner and again left him alone in a reception room where there was stretched out on the floor some absolutely gorgeous paper with ink and brushes just waiting there. And he got so fascinated that he just couldn't resist. You know, like a child. He simply couldn't resist doing his calligraphy on that piece of paper. And suddenly, as he realized he had done it, that he had spoiled this gorgeous paper, you know, which was incredibly expensive, the host walked in and he apologized. He said, Really, I don't know what to do. I, I'm so sorry. I couldn't uh, resist the temptation to make uh, some things on this beautiful paper. And the host said, <laughs> Oh, please don't worry about that. <laughs> because he, he had now possessed himself of a priceless object of art. This man's work today sells for thousands and thousands of dollars. So this is the spirit. Uh, I'm, trying, I'm telling these anecdotes to try and illustrate the spirit of what's called a myokonin. Uh, somebody in the swing of realizing that all the, 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 the very great thing in life is not your own doing. That it comes from the side of things the flip, in other words, of experience that you call other. There are some people you see who believe it comes from the split in experience you call yourself. That's the Jiriki people. The Tariki people believe it comes from the other. But now what happens is this. When you penetrate deeply into the doctrines of the Pure Land School, uh, the simple people believe that there really is Amitabha Buddha sitting on his golden lotus surrounded by all those apsaras. Exactly from Japan, 108,000 miles to the west, there is a paradise where all those people sit and where you will be reborn when you die. 
And the simple priests of the sect in the country villages today still insist that that's what you should believe. But the sophisticated priests don't believe that at all. They know that Amitabha is in you. Only it is that side of you which you don't define as you. When you say, I have a body, you, instead of saying, I am a body, that's because you feel that your body happens to you. That it's something you got mixed up with, that was given to you by your parents. You don't say, I beat my heart on purpose. You feel that your heart is something that happens to you. So all that side of things that you experience as a passive recipient of it is tariki. But in all this, who are you? Who is the recipient of these gifts? Don't you see that self and other go together? That you don't need to uh, cling to yourself because you have everything you called other and that's you too. That if you, but, but you only realize this if you explore it. If you go to an extreme. So you can go to the extreme by pursuing the idea of total courage, of letting go of everything, of being a true Zen monk and abandoning all your property and living in a barn and uh, sitting in the middle of the night in the cold and eating rice and pickles and so on. And uh, you can explore liberation that way. That's going to an extreme. But eventually you'll come round to the same point as the person who goes to the other extreme, which is no effort whatsoever. It, it comes of itself. Only. He gets in a kind of bind too. Because when am I making no effort? Even if I say Namu Amida Buts, I'm doing something about it. Now, I, I, I've got to stop doing, saying this Namu Amida Buts. You know, it's, not, saying Namu Amida Buts is so easy. But it's still a little bit work. And I mustn't do any work at all. How can you get to the point where you don't do any work at all? Well, you just mustn't do anything. And you find yourself that that is diff as difficult as the other situation was. You see? To do nothing, really do nothing, with perfection, is as difficult as to do everything.
You've been listening to Alan Watts from the Spoken Word Library of the Electronic University. For copies of this and other Alan Watts programs, please go to alanwatts.com on the World Wide Web or call us toll-free at 1-800-W-O-WATTS. That's A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T-S dot com or 1-800-W-O-W-A-T-T-S. The Watts website features free audio downloads, program lists, and information on Watts' life and works. Once again, that's alanwatts.com or 1-800-W-O-WATTS.